This week on Siblings on Record, Fleetwood Mac Rumors. Hey, everybody. I'm Aaron Martell. And I'm Shannon Fleming, Aaron's little sister. And welcome to Siblings on Record, a podcast where we pick a musical album and we spend the episode talking about it and analyzing it. This episode, we decided to tackle Fleetwood Mac's 1977 album, Rumors. So, Shannon, I know the answer to this, but why don't you tell the listeners about your history with Fleetwood Mac and Rumors in particular? (laughs) Well, there's just one word. It's mom. Mm -hmm. This is all our mother. Um, I feel like this is one of those things that's like you have like these really early memories of childhood that, you know, how everything's like kind of like pieced together. It's like, you know, you you have blips of like even being like in a crib and such. But I remember really a memory of like, I think I must have been three or four or wherever the heck we were. I know it was in Cheshire specifically. And I was on the couch and we had that massive console. Right. And she was cleaning the house. And it wasn't the first time that I heard the album, but it was blaring. It was like some sort of meditation for her. She was just methodical. You could hear her singing every now and again and whatever. (laughs) And it was loud. But I sat there because and I know I had to have been so little because my feet didn't even quite go over the side of the couch. I mean, I was like right there. Right. So it's something that I don't know. I guess it, it was like a, a background. Like it's like that tape that runs in the back of your head. It's just kept on going. So she must have played it so much that I, I memorized the album. I know every song on this album, probably more so than any other album that I can think of. Mm-hmm. When I think of our mother and the music she exposed us to as kids, for me too, this is the first full album that comes to my mind. She played this record so constantly that I think it lives in my bloodstream. It's a part of my genetic code. Me too. It's the same way. When I first conceived of this podcast, I knew this was one of the albums I wanted to do with you, Shannon. And now it's finally here. Yes. And it's about time. Right. In fact, when we came up with the idea of doing the podcast, this was supposed to be the opener. This was supposed the to first be, episode. It was supposed to be our pilot. Right. And I, I couldn't do it. I just. Right. It took me a long time to get here. Yes, but hey, we got here. We got here. So now I'm going to slip you some basic facts about this record, brought to you by Wikipedia. The word is wiki. Rumors is the 11th studio album by Anglo-American rock band Fleetwood Mac, released on February 4th, 1977, on Warner Brothers Records. It was produced by Fleetwood Mac, Ken Calais, and Richard Daschett, and was recorded at Criteria Studios, Miami, Florida, Record Plant Studios, Sausalito, and Los Angeles, California, Zellerbach Auditorium, Berkeley, California, Wally Hyder Studios, San Francisco, California, and Davlin Recording Studio, North Hollywood, California. It reached number one on the UK Albums Chart and the US Billboard 200 Chart and is certified 13 times platinum by the BPI and two times diamond by the RIAA. Next, here's the band's lineup card. We have Lindsey Buckingham 
on guitars, dobro, percussion, and vocals. Stevie Nicks on vocals. Christine McVie on keyboards, synthesizer, and vocals. John McVie on bass guitar. And Mick Fleetwood on drums, percussion, and harpsichord. Okay, Shannon, let's dig into a track-by-track analysis of this album. We start the proceedings with Secondhand News, written by Lindsey Buckingham. Shannon, what do you think? I love this song. It is so awesome the way that it fades in with that, that, that guitar playing and, and, and Lindsey Buckingham's vocals as a singer and as a guitar player. This guy is a master. He's an awesome and a songwriter. Holy crap. I mean, it's just so beautiful and light and lovely. And you just can't help but just to like, even if you, you don't get up and dance to it, you want to sing along, especially like with Stevie Nicks in the background. The two of them complement each other so beautifully, which you see throughout the entire album, throughout their entire everything together that they ever produce, you know, whatever. It's it's just pure perfection. And it's a fabulous opener. And I I, I don't know, it's like it's let's go, you know, roll in the hay. <laughs> roll, right. roll, roll in the hay. I always think about that. You know, it's like, oh my God. It's just like, it makes you just want to go have some fun. <laughs> All right. How about you? Bow, 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 Oh bow, my God, bow. yes, I forgot that part. And I do that. <laughs> do, bow, bow, bow. And you have yep. to, it takes so much energy to do that too. Because yeah. you have to like figure out exactly where you're supposed to take the breath and keep on singing. <laughs> it's awesome. And you cannot help but just sing this song. And I, and I do, I know every single word. I sing along. I even know the harmony to it. It's awesome. Awesome. Anyway, I'm sorry. Go on. No, it's, it's up-tempo with acoustic guitar and multi-tracks of layered electric guitar, as well as all types of percussion from mixed marching snare drum to a naugahyde chair being struck by Lindsay and Christine credited as chair percussion. <laughs> There's Christine on organ and piano lower in the mix, and John originally played a more flowing bass line, but Lindsay wanted a more disco-like rhythm after he heard the Bee Gees jive talking. So he played a much simpler bass, which John later copied. Lindsay was establishing his control freak ways, which kind of got onto the other skin, especially John, who did not like being told what to play. (laughs) Yeah, I do. I've read that. Yes. Yes. Lindsay said the song was inspired by Scottish and Irish folk songs, and he first presented the tune to the band without any lyrics with a working title of Strummer because he didn't want to piss off Stevie because the words are about their breakup. Yes. He knows they aren't together. She's gone, but he's available to her if uh, she needs to make a booty call and let him do his stuff. <laughs> roll, roll, roll in the head. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really? There's, yeah, there's nice squealing guitar solo at the end, and I dig this song. I'm going to be saying that a lot this episode. Oh, my God. 
Yeah, I mean, there, there, there's so much to say about every song. And, you know, I can totally hear the European, that Scottish, that even Irish bit of, like, that sound. What really strikes me, though, and I did not know this, is about the disco part. I don't yep. Do you hear that? Jive talking. It's the rhythm. Okay. You know, like I the tempo. Really, I, I never even thought of it. I always yeah, thought. Yeah, I never did folk-ish. either. Folkish. Folkish is yep. rock, folk rock. And I can see, like, of course, most folk will come from like European, you know, old America, like American tradition, things like that. But it's an old style. I can yes. see that, you know, reverberating. But it's also the, danceable. And that's where the is. disco thing kind of comes in, I right. guess. I guess that's kind of where I come back to like the beginning when I was saying, like, even if you just don't get up and dance, you're going to be tap. You're going to be like moving. Like your head's going to be bobbing, your your hands going to be going. You just want to be part of the song. That is a really really interesting insight. The next track is "Dreams," written by Stevie Nicks. Shannon, you like this one? I do. I do. Um, and for you listeners, please forgive me if if I sound a little strange. Because um, I might waver a bit, but I'll, I'll keep it together, I promise. Um, this might be one of my favorite songs in the album. Um, it's so beautiful. And Stevie, you can hear it in her voice, how young she is. Because yeah. as she ages... You know, her voice changes, of course, not like the base of like the baseline of her voice, if you will. Like you you always know her voice when you hear it. Yes. But there is such innocence that is attached to this song and it has such deep meaning, you know, put to it. Like the lyrics are pretty serious and it's it's just so beautiful, like. Uh, all of it, like, you know, in Lindsay's, like, you know, guitar playing the bass with the back I and mean, all of it. It's just the way that she sings it is beautiful. And I guess the reason why I struggle with this song is because I remember once being out with mom and um, we just happened to go to one of those places. It was, it was a dive bar, like in Portsmouth, Virginia. And I <laughs> loved it. Hey, the barrel. I love you guys. And those guys really liked the way I sang. And it happened to be a full house at night and it was an open mic and Matt was working. So it, it wasn't a night that we were playing, but mom wanted to go out and she wanted to go there and she just wanted to hear some of the music that was going to be playing. And they saw me in the audience and they're like, Hey, we got Shannon here. We've got to have her come up and play um, or, and sing dreams. And of course I'd never done this before, not right. ever. And so, you know, I, it was the first time you performed this, <laughs> the song, it's the yeah. first and only time wow. I have ever done it. And I, but I knew it. I, I, it's not like I even had to be like, Oh, I have to review the lyrics real quick. I knew it as a child. Right. <laughs> so I, I got up on stage and, um, I sang it. And, um, of course the house was roaring and I looked over at mom and she was applauding, but she yeah. put two thumbs up in the air and it was, and she just had her her head, she was nodding her head up and down and she had a smile on her face and 
What a it's, great memory. It's a great memory. And it's one of the reasons why I've had trouble um, revisiting the album. Yeah. But I'm very grateful that that experience happened. So Absolutely. there it is. Yeah. How about you? Stevie Nicks. What the hell is she singing? Yeah. Do you remember that? A radio station had that bit. Because yes. sometimes it's kind of hard to understand. <laughs> well, she had like a big jacket. Yes. <laughs> well, she kind of, if you think about it, there were a few singers back then that it was like, if you, uh, like Mick Jagger is a great example yeah. of that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, whoa. Yeah. You, would, you would have to really listen hard or yes, <laughs> the lyrics in order to understand what the Who hell it was. Who cares what she's singing? I love this track. <laughs> Mixed drums and John's bass are so simple, but it makes this instantly recognizable. You know it immediately within two seconds. I love Stevie's voice. It's husky and expressive, and she sounds like no one else. When she sings, you know it's her. I often can't understand the exact words she sings, but I don't care. The music is very low-key, very soft rock, and seems to kind of float along. Lindsay's guitars and Christine's organ and Fender Rhodes' piano are almost understated, but you'd notice if they weren't there, but they also don't dominate the sound. These tracks are recorded with the best microphones at the time, and the music is layered so expertly that it's easy to miss some things. Mick plays some congas and vibraphone percussion that enhances the rhythm, but it's the vocals that really make this song. Stevie's verse melody is excellent, and the chorus is so catchy, and it showcases Stevie, Christine, and Lindsay's harmonies. That gets in your head, and you can't get rid of it. You can't. The lyrics are great, and they paint Stevie's picture of her breakup with Lindsay, saying that if he wants to go, she won't stand in the way, but he might regret what he's lost. It's a signature song for Stevie, and this was a single that reached number 24 on the UK Singles Chart and number one on the US Hot 100 Chart, Fleetwood Mac's only number one single. And it should have been. The following track is Never Going Back Again, written by Lindsay Buckingham. She wrote down and let me in Okay, Shan, what do you say? Well, here we go again about like, when you think about Fleetwood Mac, especially during this particular recording of this this album. So John and Christine just divorced pretty much right before they got in the studio, I believe. Lindsay and Stevie were also married. They were in the process, I believe, of all their breakup as well. They were never married, but they were. Okay, I thought they were. No, no, they were never married, but they were breaking up too. Okay, so I am wrong in my history in that respect, but they were couples. Yes. But they were all breaking up at the same time. And Mick was going through a divorce. Yes. Oh, that's right. Yes. Okay, so everybody is having relationship challenges and absolute, it was chaos. Yes. And then this comes out of it. Right. It's incredible. And I know we're talking about one song, but again, if we're talking about like the theme of the album is about relationships. Oh, yeah. That's what it's about. The breakup, yes. the beauty of it. Every single yeah. song is about what they were experiencing at that time. Yes. And it's incredibly beautiful. Once again, you got Lindsay with that guitar picking, that playing. 
it's it's awesome and he's got such a cool voice you've got a bit of that like folk type of style in my mind it's just so pretty i love his guitar playing so much and he's just wonderful but what do you think yeah this is basically a lindsey buckingham solo track as it's only him on everything that you hear it's amazing finger-style guitar picking. It used to be that he was one of the most underrated guitarists out there, but in the last decade or so, Lindsay's really started to get his due recognition and his very deserved recognition, and I'm glad. It's a pretty jingly acoustic guitar piece with Lindsay again commenting on his relationship with Stevie. He's found a rebound lover. He's not going to repeat the same mistakes, and he's never going back to that old relationship. Lindsay has an excellent voice, like you touched on, Shannon, and he does all the harmonies on this one. It's the shortest track on the album at 2 minutes 14 seconds, and I dig the shit out of it. The next track is Don't Stop, written by Christine McVie. Shannon, your thoughts? My thoughts? <laughs> I laugh. You know, it's so funny um, because, of course, I remember when we were kids. It's a great tune. Christine McVie is an underrated songwriter. I agree. She is fabulous. I do not think her vocals are over the top. I don't think she has quite what Stevie Nicks has necessarily, but what she does have is magic. I think her playing is wonderful. And I think her writing is incredible. And I think she compliments, she just compliments everything. And if, even if she's not just doing it by herself, when she asks for the help, it's just, it's the perfect help. Yeah. She and Lindsay are awesome together. Yes. I mean, they are just awesome together. But where I'm going with this song, which is why it makes me laugh, is all I can think about is the Clinton campaign. Yeah, yeah. He rode the waves on this song. He did. It became a massive hit in the early 90s. Again. Again. Yeah. And it was already a massive hit. Yeah. And it's a really, I think to me, like a positive song. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's about moving on. Again, we, yes. you and I have touched on themes in albums. I, I often tend to pick up on them. I know you can at times as well. In fact, you probably do it more than I do. I, I'm when I'm actually, you know, cognizant about it. It's like I think about like we were talking about Nora Jones. I thought a theme there with these guys, though, it was really concrete. It wasn't oh, yeah. some made up imagination. No, it's put right out there. Absolutely. They had these massive struggles going on and they're trying to work through them. And here we are getting like to this midway point. And it's like it's beautiful because, you know, they're. It even sounds like they're having a good time playing together. Yeah. Don't stop thinking about tomorrow. It'll be here. And I think that is, in, in my mind, it's a mantra for life. Those words alone sometimes get people through very dark hours because we all go there. What about you? Well, hello, Christine McVie. Yeah. Her first song on the record has a bouncy rhythm and Christine playing piano, tech piano, which is really prominent and cool, and Vox Continental Organ. 
Lindsay sings the first verse, Christine the second, and they sing the third verse together. I said Stevie has a husky voice. To me, Christine has a smoky voice. Yes. This band was so lucky to have three ace singers who also happen to be ace songwriters. It gave this band an advantage over other 70s pop groups. The whole vibe of this track is more uplifting and not so heavy as some of the others, and Lindsay plays a tight, hard-rocking solo. The lyrics touch on Christine's separation from John, but there's a note of optimism to these lyrics. Don't stop thinking about tomorrow. It'll be here better than before. Yesterday's gone. It's another super catchy chorus, which is what every good pop song needs. Some people don't like this track because it's happy and cheesy, but fuck them. I dig it. (laughs) Me too. As we touched on, this is famously the theme music for Bill Clinton's presidential campaign, and it was a single that reached number 32 on the UK singles chart and number three on the US Billboard Hot 100. It's fucking fabulous, and I will always say it with pride. Damn straight. The following track is Go Your Own Way. Written by Lindsay Buckingham. If I could. Shannon, what do you say? Well, don't stop thinking about tomorrow, but fuck you. Go your own way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love this song. Oh, my God. You know what's so funny about it? You think about, like, Forrest Gump, and he's, like, on that, like, run. Because, of course, most people have seen this film. It's an Oscar-winning film. It's fabulous in so many respects. But so for those of you out there who need a reminder, there's this part where Forrest Broke up with Jenny in his mind, or she left when they met again in Alabama. She gave him some running shoes because he, he's got to run. He's always got to run. Just run away. Just run. He puts them on and he decided to take a run and he's narrating it. And I decided to just keep on running past Greenbow and all that stuff. Well, it's, of course, it becomes like a marathon almost with all of his followers. But one of the songs in the backdrop is you can go your own way. And I just I, I laughed to this day because these songs from this album, <laughs> it's had nothing to do with that. No, but it, not but at I all. see where it applies. Not, not lyrically. <laughs> yeah. It's about yeah. just taking a stand. You're going to like finally be like part of yourself. You're going to like you can go your own way. Just fuck off. Go away. I want to be, you know, I'm going to be independent. It's it's all good. You know, it's so funny. I do love Don't Stop. I think I like this song better. I think it is so catchy, especially the chorus. And I do love that. Lindsay's playing with that like little bit of chunky guitar. I love mix playing with the drums. It's it's really, really cool. But um, I OK, here we go again. <laughs> It's him and Christine again, I think. It's all of them. Chorus, correct? Or is it just all three? Him? All three. Yes. Okay, it is all yes. of them. Finally. Thank all three. you. I knew. Wow. Okay. It's so awesome and so catchy. And his soloing in between is just beautiful. 
it's an awesome tune and it, it's another one of those get up and go. So you, you know, you can feel positive about, yeah, I'm okay. It's okay about the breakup, but you know, fuck you. I'm moving on. <laughs> yeah. What do you think? Yeah. The distinctive syncopated drum beat in the verses yes. was inspired by the Rolling Stones street fighting man. And Lindsay showed it to Mick who took it better than John did when Lindsay changed his bass part in the same <laughs> sections. <laughs> To make up for it, Lindsay gave John freedom in the choruses, which is why the bass runs are more melodic and flowing. If you listen to the bass in the chorus, it's really cool. He gets to show off a little bit. Yeah. There's Christine's Hammond organ in the background, and Lindsay plays some soaring lead guitar, like you said, oh, Shannon. It's awesome. It is awesome. But this was pieced together by Ken Calais from six different guitar solos along with the ever-present acoustic guitars. That guitar solo that you hear is six different solos that Ken Calais used the faders to pull up and down to kind of construct that solo. Oh, that is really interesting. Yeah. It's like mechanical. It is, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. The lyrics are Lindsay's answer is Stevie's dreams, and they're more bitter and biting, like you said, Shannon. Fuck you. <laughs> Packing up, shacking up is all you want to do. Clearly blaming Stevie for the breakup, which she found hurtful, but there's always two sides to every story, I guess, right? It's unbelievable to me that this band was able to function at all. How were they able to work professionally while their lives were in such personal turmoil? It just it boggles my mind. Was this like their method of healing? It has to be. It had to have been their outlet. Well, plus, they're also, you know, coked out of their minds, so oh, that shit oh, probably yeah, didn't help drums. either, so... Holy crap, yes, they all way influenced. Oh my god. I cannot believe what a clusterfuck of beauty. Yep. Isn't it incredible? Yep. The three singers nail this chorus, and I've just gotta think Stevie's just willing to suck it up to sing these vocals. <laughs> this is one of the harder rocking tracks. I dig the shit out of it, and it was a single that reached number thirty-eight on the UK singles chart and number ten on the US Billboard Hot One Hundred. The next track is Songbird. Written by Christine McVie. Shannon, how about this? This song is gorgeous. It's so beautiful. Christine, once again, it's pristine. And it does sound like she's just playing piano. It's just a piano. And it's just her. It's so naked and completely exposed and vulnerable. And the lyrics are just incredibly touching. And her voice really shines on this and of course, once again, we go back to her songwriting. The beauty about this song is the fact that so many people thought it were beautiful, that even great, great vocalists have covered it. One of my favorites is Eva Cassidy, and you and I have talked about this before. Yeah, that's a famous version of it, too. It's one of the most famous versions. And Mick used to play with Eva a lot before she died. And he said, nobody does this quite like you do. It's a real homage to, to the band and to Christine's work because it's about growing. It's about just, to me, in my mind, it's about 
a release of some sort. It's, it's almost spiritual in some respects. And, and that, that's, that's really something because even if you don't believe in any of those types of things, it's, it's something that moves you to a point where you just have to stop and just actually like, I don't know, think about things. And and the music itself just, it almost like just penetrates you. Yeah. It's just beautiful. Really beautiful. What about you? Oh, do I love this song. I think it's one of the most beautiful love songs ever written. I agree. And if you catch me on the right day, it can get an emotional reaction from you. Yeah. I was going to say it can make you teary-eyed. Absolutely. It's just Christine playing beautifully on a nine-foot Steinway piano and singing with light acoustic guitar from Lindsay. Apparently, Christine woke up in the middle of the night with a song in her head. She had an electric piano next to her, and she started playing it, writing the entire thing, including lyrics, in 30 minutes. She knew she had something special, so the next day she showed up at the studio and said, we got to get this down. And it ended up being recorded away from the studio at the University of California Zellerbach Auditorium to get the concert hall ambience of it. The lyrics are universal and were not inspired by someone specific, but Christine's voice is plaintive, almost mournful, yet somehow reassuring, and it can give me goosebumps. The band itself thought of this as the song that kind of held them together, that it reminded them how much they'd been through and how much love they shared. It also frequently ends Fleetwood Mac concerts to this day. I just adore this track. So let's flip the imaginary record over and drop the imaginary needle on The Chain, written by Lindsey Buckingham, Mick Fleetwood, Christine McVie, John McVie, and Stevie Nicks. How about this? Holy shit. Oh my God, Aaron. I love this song. (laughs) This is a power song. It's a real power song. And again, it's kind of like, to me in my mind, it, it, you know, it continues that theme of fuck you. (laughs) Even after (laughs) that, like, because you know, they, they, you know, wasn't there once like this whole thing about like, there are like different stages of grief. Yes. (laughs) These guys actually well, they display it absolutely clinically perfectly <laughs> because according to most psychiatrists and psychologists, it doesn't happen exactly in the way that it's supposed to. You go back and forth in between emotions and you might be angry. You might be sad. You might be grateful. You might have acceptance. Well, we moved on. You know, we had acceptance and like, oh, God, it was great to, oh, fuck you again. <laughs> if you don't love me now, you will never love me again. <laughs> You know, never break the chain, though. Damn it. We are all married, even if we're divorced. Yeah. Fuck you. We're, we're in this. We're, we're in still a this band. all together. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And we're riding it out. And it is an awesome power tune. Here we go again. Oh, man. The way that it even, like, just fades in with, like, it feels like a fading, at least. It's not really. Yeah. But it's. Yeah, it fades intro- in. It does. Yeah. Okay. So, like, you have the introduction, though, of each instrument. It's so definite it's like you can see them marching 
at you, looking you straight in the eye. This song is fabulous. Um, most people also know this song right off the bat. Um, in terms of like commercially, I think it actually did quite well. But to me, this, oh, <laughs> I fight with this one. Well, with every song in this album, just about, it's like um, Dreams almost competes with this one for me for like the best spot. I love this song and I sing it loudly when I do it. <laughs> Loud and proud. Yes. How about you? This is a Frankenstein's monster of a track <laughs> stitched together with different parts. John and Mick came up with the bass and drums for the outro part. Stevie and Christine worked on the first section with Stevie's lyrics in an older song Christine had called Keep Me There. And Lindsay supplied the intro from an older song of his called Lola My Love from the Buckingham Knicks album. All of these elements were spliced together and make this track one of the few Fleetwood Mac songs where all of the band members got a writing credit. The sound in the first section is a kind of country, kind of folkish sound with Lindsay playing the dobro as well as guitar, while the outro develops into more hard rock with screaming guitars. Mick holds the thing together with his beats. I like Mick Fleetwood's drumming. He's not a power player like John Bonham, and he's not like a technician behind the kit, you know, like uh, Neil Peart. He's a finesse player who seems to always be looking for how to serve the song yes. with a great ear for adding percussion to a given track. Plus, he just locks in with John's solid, dependable bass, always in the pocket, and it's no wonder this band is named after its rhythm section. The vocals on this track are amazing. The three of them really bring some fiery passion, and the lyrics once again reference a crumbled relationship with broken promises and bitterness really coming through another fuck you song. <laughs> the harmonies are stellar, and there are little tricks with Stevie repeating never break the chain in oh. the chorus, and Christine's ghostly still hear you saying. The outro becomes much more intense musically and vocally, Chain, keep us together, and it maintains this heightened tension as the track fades. I love this track, too, and to this day it often opens Fleetwood Mac concerts. Ha <laughs> ha! Wow! See, I would picture that one more of a closer. That is interesting. That is very interesting, and you were spot on about mixed playing. Because you're right, he's not like this over-the-top stellar drummer, but he's another compliment. He just knows how to serve it correctly. And when he does do it, it's pretty powerful and it stands out. Yeah, I once uh, saw an interview with him where they asked him, the, the interviewer asked him point blank, he said, are you a good drummer? And he, he looked at him and he said, well, he said, I've been told that I keep good time. So yes, I am. <laughs> That's and I, that kind of sums it up. I love it. The following track is You Make Loving Fun, written by Christine McVie. Shannon, what do you make it? Again, her songwriting really, really, truly shines again. And, you know, it's like we've gone over albums before. It's like, well, this isn't necessarily my favorite track, but it's still really, really good. Um, it's, it's one of those types of songs. I really, really dig it. I think it's really cool. I love the fact that she experiments, or not even experiments, she uses 
so much different like electronic keyboarding types. They're playing besides their singing really, really comes together. The thing that I love about this song, again, comes back to the chorus with the harmonies. I love the way that it is sung. Yeah. It's it's really cool. Um, are, which part are we in terms of, like, you know, the stages of grief? You make love and fun. Are we playing around together? Are we kind of playing tongue-in-cheek type stuff? Are we like, yeah, I kind of like each other today. Maybe I just want to have, like, a Roland Zihe type of thing. <laughs> yeah. That's what... This song kind of gives me the impression of. This whole album is crazy. It's it's a good song. And if I have to start rating things, it gets really weird because it's it's still really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, I think, yeah, I, I love the chorus. Um, I think it's a, she's awesome. I think it's great. What do you think? This tune is Christine's baby. She built the song with a clavinet and the Wurlitzer electric piano that kind of shapes the sound of this. And her lyrics are about an affair she had with the band's lighting director, Curry Grant. And at the time, she told John they were about her dog. Now, this dude must have rocked her world to inspire lyrics like these. It was kind of a and rebound thing. Yeah. <laughs> Lindsay again plays some excellent hard rock leads all over this thing, and he commands your attention. The rhythm's almost funky, especially combined yeah. with the sounds yes. of the keyboards. And Stevie plays some nice uh, tambourine. Christine's <laughs> vocal melodies are fantastic. And there's cool as shit, wordless backing vocals in the chorus and outro. And the outro itself feels like a release as it rides that groove. This track is stupendous. And it was a single that reached number 45 on the UK singles chart. What the fuck is up with the UK? Why are these so low? <laughs> I don't know. And number nine on the US Billboard Hot yeah. 100. Yes. <laughs> And you know what's so funny is I was like, you know, it's not my favorite track, but I still like it a lot. All I can picture now is a dog. It's all I want to do and throwing a frisbee or some shit. Oh my god, that is hysterical. Yeah, oh John, it's about the dog. I'm not. I'm not past you. I'm not rebounding with anybody. It's about the dog. Not with the lighting guy. Don't talk to the lighting guy tonight. Oh my god, I'm like almost crying. This is so funny. I can hear the song in my head, and I'm like. Wow. Do you think he bought it, Aaron? <laughs> he must have been better than John in the sack because he made love and fun. <laughs> or the dog was really good, too. <laughs> the next track is I Don't Want to Know, written by Stevie Nicks. Shannon, what do you think? This is a great song. Yeah. I think it's fabulous. Um, she, oh God, I love Stevie Nicks so much. And, you know, I love Christine's writing so very much. In fact, she's very powerful. I love her singing. There is something about Stevie Nicks that really, really strikes you. Yeah. It's so unique. She's magnetic. She is magnetic. And that is the best way to put her. This is a really awesome song. And if you just say it in the title itself, where are we in those stages again? Yeah. yeah. It's like, um, 
I mean, all the stuff that you just described in the last song, what was going on all over the place? It's an awesome tune. I, I love it. Um, I love her. It's, it's great. Um, I'm not being very articulate. Come on, give me the stats. Here we go. <laughs> Stevie Nicks, what the hell is she singing? <laughs> this song has an interesting story behind it. Stevie had written a big ballad for Rumors called Silver Springs, and the band recorded it for this album. But at some point, the other band members decided that it wouldn't fit. They wanted a more up-tempo track for it. So Lindsay dug up this older Stevie song from the Buckingham Knicks days, and the band worked on this late in the recording sessions without Stevie present. Lindsay even recorded Stevie's vocal parts. Mick broke the news to Stevie that they didn't want Silver Springs, but they wanted I Don't Want to Know instead, and Stevie was pissed. <laughs> At first, she refused to work on it, but eventually she gave in and re-recorded her own vocal parts because she wanted another one of her songs on the album. She didn't want them to like put another Lindsay song on there, so she kind of conceded it. And later on, she admitted that she thought it was a good idea to put this on. Well, of oh, course, it was one of hers. <laughs> See, I did know about the Silver Springs thing, which, by the way, is an absolutely fabulous song. Yeah. And you know what's so funny about in, in terms of like live recordings? I think that's one of their stronger ones in, in the later years. It's gorgeous. It's absolutely beautiful. It was intended, like you said, to be on the original album. I did not know the full story. That is interesting. Once again, the drama ensues. Yeah. This has that country rock flavor to it that was typical of the California rock scene in the 70s. It sounds a bit like the Eagles to me, only a lot better. I mean, I, I like the Eagles fine, but this mops the floor with them as far as I'm oh, concerned. No doubt. Lindsay plays some 12-string guitar, and there's a lot of energy in the vocals, especially Stevie, who sounds like she's still pissed off about the band behind her back. <laughs> I don't want to know. <laughs> The lyrics, even though they were written before all the drama in this band happened, are about a relationship failing, surprise, surprise, with confused emotions and not knowing what you want from love. I love the singer's harmonies and Stevie's hand claps, and I'm glad the band chose to put this on here. I've always dug it. And like you said, Shannon, as for Silver Springs, it got a second life as a single from the live, the dance album, and that's actually a really good song, too. The penultimate track is Oh Daddy, written by Christine McVie. Oh, Daddy, if I can make you see If there's been a fool around It's got to be me Yes, it's got to be me Why are you right when I'm so wrong? I'm so weak, but you're so strong Shannon, what about this one? I'm not crazy about this tune. Whoa. Yeah. You know, it's so funny because this the entire album all the way to this point is like, again, we talk about greatest hits albums. It's been a greatest hits album. It's just a studio recording of like songs that they wrote for this specific occasion. This song fits in with the theme, the sound. There's a sound that. No, so we talked about relationships and whatnot, but there is an actual sound theme that kind of goes along with it. And to me, my mind, it's almost like a, you said country before. I think that's really right on. Almost a Western type of like Grand Canyon, possibly like maybe having a Native American riding through wherever they're going. 
and you know, in the Grand Canyon, this song makes me, in terms of the sound of it, makes me think I'm like in the Grand Canyon suddenly. Yeah. But it's like, it's, it's interesting, or actually I should say more of that about the last song, but this is kind of leading into it. I don't like it. I don't even like, like, I don't like the way she sings it. I think the only thing that I really kind of find positive about it is, is the chorus once again. It's just, I don't know. It's weird. I, I, and I do. I, in fact, I think they should have cut it all together and had Stevie not had a freaking tizzy about everything put in silver Springs. Yeah. You know, I mean, even ended it with that. Although I do love the ending of it, but I, I don't know. I just don't like this song. Okay. This is my stinky stinker. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this is a slow, moody tune that features John's melodic, atypical bass playing. And I don't as, think it's very good. Yeah. That's the problem I have with it. As well as Christine's multiple keyboard parts of piano, organ, and multi-moog. Lindsay's guitars are kind of shimmery and spidery, and they contribute to the haunting vibe of this. Christine claimed the lyrics are about Mick, as he was kind of the daddy of the band, as well as being the only actual father with two kids. Though this has been disputed, and it's thought it could be another song about the lighting director she was dating at the time. <laughs> no matter, Mick has said this is one of his favorites. And Christine imbues the vocals with a pleading quality, like she needs and wants to be taken care of. Why are you right when I'm so wrong? I'm so weak, but you're so strong. I do dig this track. I don't hate it. But this is easily my least favorite, too. So here it is. This is Aaron's Stinky Stinker. And that brings us to the final track, Gold Dust Woman, written by Stevie Nicks. Shane, like this one? Oh, my God. You were talking about Stevie's, like, magnetic quality before? Yeah. This is it. Yeah. You can hear it. They play it for her. She doesn't only sing it. It's actually in the sound of the music. It's got, it almost gives you goosebumps. It's so awesome. It has intensity, electricity, power all compacted into this woman who is not over the top screaming. It's beautifully, beautifully tailored, awesomely instrumented. It's just a piece of artwork. It is the best way to end this album. It's the, you know, we had the beginning, which was the best intro. This is the best ending. In fact, you know, Aaron, if we're going to go there, this might be the best first and last I've ever heard. Seriously, it's that good. The song is amazing. This is what I was kind of thinking of in terms of the Grand Canyon. Maybe I was skipping over Oh Daddy because I just don't like the song. And like went right straight to Gold Dust Woman because here we are. It's, it is rugged and it is beautiful. And you can see the shimmering everywhere. And it is... It's just strikingly beautiful. I love this song. And I always 
you've, we've touched on this so many times. I know I'm not giving any like real, you know, technical types of descriptions, but this is how it is. This song is a walk in solitude through the canyon and you can see shimmering everywhere. It's all there and I can see her. It's really cool. Stevie Nicks, what the hell is she singing? Cocaine is a hell of a drug, I hear. <laughs> the sound is super layered on this. There's so much instrumentation with the dobro and sitar. Kind of gives us an exotic, almost Eastern music vibe. And I love the cowbell that begins this track. Me cowbell, too. baby. Oh. Christine's on Fender Rhodes piano. And Mick plays what's called a processed electric harpsichord with a jet phaser which was marked off with tape so he could play the right notes. The outro has the spooky voices and sound effects, and it has that witchy quality that Stevie is so identified with, along with Mick steadily holding down the beat. But despite all this cool shit going on musically, this song belongs to Stevie Nicks. She was the visual focus of the band with her flowing dresses and captivating stage moves. She was so sexy. And who the fuck didn't have a crush on her? I sure as hell did. No doubt. God Just me. look at her on the album cover with her leg draped over Mix and his wooden balls <laughs> hanging between his legs. She's certainly bewitching. And that distinctive voice ringing the emotion out of this track. She has said that it's about groupies who like to hang on to the male band members like leeches and do drugs, while the gold dust is a metaphor for cocaine. And there were mountains of it for this band around this time, as they were enjoying their first taste of big money. The chorus is so memorable, and the lyrics to this track are so evocative. Rock on, ancient queen, follow those who pale in your shadow. Rulers make bad lovers, you better put your kingdom up for sale. This is a fucking amazing track. It's another Stevie signature song like Dreams and Rhiannon. It's a concert favorite. Rock on, Gold Dust Woman, rock on. Now that the track by track is completed, we'll go into our final thoughts and album ratings. For you new listeners, the rating is a 0 to 5 system, with 5 being a favorite album of ours, all the way down to a 0, which is a pile of shit. Shannon, what are your final thoughts on Rumors? Well, you know, it's... See... Um, I'm kind of sad that we're done talking about it because to some degree in my mind, it feels like, um, it's another chapter that's closed, but it, it, it indeed has, um, this album is incredibly dear to me. Um, I loved our mother very much and she was incredibly influential throughout my life, it, particularly in music and literature. I always say those couple of things. And, um, I, it took me a very, very long time to actually listen to it. It was me that actually brought up, you know, covering this album. It was supposed to be our pilot. Like I said, like we, we talked about in the beginning. Um, and I just, I couldn't do it a, a couple of years ago. I know today is year three. It's a lot better than it was. I think doing this opens doors to the stuff that is so so awesome because she had an amazing, amazing, like array of different types of music and her tastes were just incredibly beautiful. And this album is a hallmark and, um, I, I will love it forever. I give it a five and because it is, it is really that good. (laughs) It really is that good, but also because it will forever make me think of our mother. Yeah. 
On New Year's Eve 1974, little-known musical duo and romantic partners, Lindsey Buckingham and Stephanie Stevie Nicks, joined the moderately successful blues rock band Fleetwood Mac and got to work on the band's 10th studio album, which signified a new, strongly pop-influenced direction. The resulting self-titled album would eventually prove to be a massive success with multiple hit singles and broke the band, especially in America, where they toured relentlessly for several months. But by 1976, Fleetwood Mac was under severe stress. John and Christine McVie's marriage ended, as well as Lindsay and Stevie's relationship, and even Mick Fleetwood was in divorce proceedings. The pressure was on to record the follow-up album, and the sessions at the record plant in Sausalito, while fairly productive, began to deteriorate with the band's fractured and dysfunctional relationships, along with an increasing alcohol and drug abuse. Fleetwood Mac took a break to play a few gigs, then finished the album at various venues in Los Angeles. Somehow, throughout all this soap opera mess, the band wrote some excellent songs with the disintegrated relationships as subject matter forming the core of the material. When Rumors was released, it reached number one in the UK, Australia, Canada, New Zealand, and in the US it was number one for 31 non-consecutive weeks. This record became a juggernaut that to date has sold over 40 million albums worldwide. It's one of the seminal albums of the 70s, and you could not escape from it if you tried. I adore this album. It's one of my very favorites, and I give it a shining gold star five. When I first conceived this podcast, I knew this was one of the records that we had to do, and I'm glad it's finally happening. Our mother played this thing so much that it's the record I most associate with her, and I can't hear a single track from it and not be reminded of that giant stereo console with a turntable and speakers built into it, playing this album all the time. On the day of this recording, she passed away exactly three years ago at the age of 64, and I'd like to say a few personal things about our mom. She reminded me a little of Stevie Nicks, both women being short, beautiful, and having a witchy persona that informed their worldview and wardrobe choices. <laughs> I always thought that if they'd known each other, they would have gotten along really well. Yeah. She was the kind of mom who would get five-year-old Aaron out of bed at two in the morning to watch his favorite Godzilla movie with her, <laughs> both curled up on the couch and eating popcorn. She enabled and encouraged my every women interest, whether it was superheroes, Star Wars, or Kiss, providing me with comic books, toys, puzzles, games, posters, and whatever else there was to collect from my obsessions. She wasn't perfect, but she was smart, funny as hell, and she fiercely loved her children and grandchildren. And it is through her that I have a great love for, among others, the Beatles, Simon and Garfunkel, Elton John, Billy Joel, Cat Stevens, and Fleetwood Mac. This episode of the podcast is dedicated to the memory of Deborah Doris Holden. Love you, Mom. I love you, Mom. And that's going to do it for this episode. You can find this podcast at places like iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, TuneIn, Google Play, and Spotify. So if you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review of it. If you take the time to do that, we'll read your review right here on the show. If you'd like to contact us directly, we can be reached at RidiculousRockRecords at gmail.com and also on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews Facebook page, where there's a link to hear each podcast, including the Siblings on Record branch of the show.
You can also recommend the show on Facebook if you prefer to do it that way. And yes, we'll read your Facebook recommendation on the podcast. You want to come on the podcast and talk about an album with us? Shoot us an email and we'll set it up. We're always looking for co-pilots to host the show with us. And we would also welcome any requests or suggestions for albums to cover. Feel free to leave all of your feedback, comments, reviews, and or suggestions at any of those places I just described. We'd love to hear from you. So for Siblings on Record, I'm Aaron. And I'm Shannon. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. I love you, Mom. Sam Air Martell, I'm Shannon Fleming, and yes. little sister. Throw that in there. Yes. yes. Oh. <laughs> Here we go. I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> I can do it. Even, even, even after all this time, race crews set up. He'll be like, he'll be like daydreaming when I start. <laughs> What he physically looks like a tall, gangly dude with the big what? bug eyes. Exactly. <laughs> the wooden balls dangling from his crotch. Oh my god, isn't that hysterical? Yeah. The album cover, in fact, the album artwork, and there were several photographs that were taken. There's the one where it's all of them, but he towers over them and he has his arms around yeah, them. Yeah, he always has to like hunch over. Yes! But there's the one where he has his arms around them. Yeah. And it's almost like, this is my family. I'm yeah, oh yeah, no, he's like Papa Bear. They yes, all know it. They all say seriously it. Is. Yeah. And it's so funny. And again, when I was talking about Eva Cassidy, she used to really enjoy playing with him. And he would go out of his way to make sure that he played with her because she was so extraordinary. That's really cool. It is really cool. Get the funny bone for me. All right. Oh, you know what? It's the bread basket that I kind of find... Uh, the bread basket is kind of challenging. Jesus, you know, that is the thing about Operation. If you're going to go for the bread basket, it's kind of weird. It's a hard one. You can push, it's a really hard one. You can push it easily, like, to the left or the right yeah. or the bottom top. Yep. And right now, there are four adults and one child in the kitchen playing Operation. Oh, yes. I can hear them. <laughs> oh, God. Because I think they're being kind of quiet. It's kind of no, they're doing it. We're going to hear them a lot, though. They're going to be on this podcast okay? a lot. It's going to be, yeah, because they're, they're not overpowering. But we're gonna, no, you're, you're gonna hear them in the background a lot. <laughs>